Hey, this is Marina, and you're listening to Sober Baby, a show about how the one thing I have to change is everything. Every Friday, I invite you to hang out with me and my guests on Instagram Live as we talk about addiction, sobriety, and everything in between. Yeah, I guess before I start, I just want to say a thank you to, um, to my partner, Danny, who has been incredibly supportive through the highs and the lows of Danny, I might need you to come get the cat, um, who has been incredibly supportive in the highs and the lows of this, of this journey that I've been on for the past like three years. Um, sobriety is definitely, uh, not for the faint of heart. It's definitely not something that I, uh, I, I had no idea what I was getting into when I got sober. I was just like, I don't want to fucking feel this way anymore. Um, and I, I just want to acknowledge what it means to be in partnership with someone who is an alcoholic and who's an addict um, in recovery or, or in active addiction, right? So I just want to name that there are millions and millions of people surrounding all of these different people, you know, struggling with addiction in whatever way that they can, family members, lovers, friends, partners, parents. Um, my parents are on this live stream, you know? It's a really significant issue that isn't really talked about. And that's part of why I'm starting this show because I feel like I've, I've just gotten a lot of questions. Um, Kat, who's on this call, who, you know, we don't even like really know each other. We're from the same town, but Kat, you know, kind of gently nudged me to start a show. And I've gotten a lot of questions about um, what it would mean and what it would look like for me to kind of talk about sobriety, frankly and honestly. And uh, I can't do that alone. So, as I kind of talk for the next 35 minutes or so, I just want to acknowledge that nothing that I'm doing is in a vacuum. Nothing that I'm doing is occurring alone. And I have uh, really just immense gratitude for the people that have held me and supported me and cried with me and, and loved up on me, um, even when I'm being a selfish brat and having a really shitty day or my anxiety is through the roof and I can't even function. So yeah, I love you too. and. Um, you just, you have my heart. So with that mushy Valentine's Day moment being said, um, I'm so excited about this. Every single episode is going to be different. You're probably not going to hear me solo talk as much um, in the next couple episodes because, hello, welcome everyone, um, because... This show is about engaging with people. This show is about really, really... Um, highlighting and being in dialogue with all the different kinds of people that I've had the opportunity and privilege to meet in sobriety. So next week, my bio sister, Milan, um, whose at name is at 35 MMAN, Milan is actually going to be visiting me in uh, staying with me and Danny in Gainesville for a couple days. And so I'm going to be interviewing people and I'm just going to kind of start. I have a little script so I don't go, you know, crazy off the corner, but Basically, I'm Marina. I am definitely an alcoholic and an addict, and I use they, them pronouns. Um, if you don't know about the whole pronoun thing, uh, pronouns are a way of honoring people's humanity and respecting them and seeing them the way that they want to be seen. So if you mess up someone's pronoun because it's hard or difficult for you to do, um, it's okay. Apologize, move on, and, and learn that... Uh, honoring someone's pronouns is honoring their humanity. So I will always be asking um, before I have a guest on what their pronouns are so that I can properly address them and honor them. So why am I starting the show? A lot of reasons. I'm starting the show uh, because I have gotten from strangers 
the continuous question or the continuous kind of comment that uh, I don't look like an alcoholic, you know, and I'm not going around telling strangers that I'm an alcoholic by any means, but sometimes it's come up in conversation. Sometimes it's come up in, um, in, you know, a lot of the artwork and the research that I do is about addiction. And I had this really uh, incredible conversation with one of my friends who's transient, who I just kind of see outside the, um, the grad apartment, the grad um, studios. I don't know why I say grad apartments, because that's where we used to live. Danny and I used to live at this place called grad apartments. Outside the grad studios, um, there's this friend that like we've just talked a couple times, and he mentioned that he was in recovery. And I was like, oh my god, same, dude. Like, yes, yeah, same. And he was like, but you don't look like an alcoholic. And I was like, well, what does an alcoholic look like, you know? Um, and he was like, someone that, you know, that looks like me, someone that's like dirty and someone that, you know, maybe didn't get an education. And I was like, that's so not true, you know? That's so not true. So the main, the kind of overarching reason why I wanted to make this show um, is because this problem of looking like an addict isn't just about optics. It isn't just about what we see. It isn't just about perception. It's a way, way, way more broad issue than that. And images, film, TV, shows have dominated who or what addicts look like. And that has shaped the way that we then treat real life people seeking recovery, right? The way that we stereotype, it's called stigma in terms of addiction, the way that we stigmatize individuals has really deep impacts for how that they're treated by doctors, how they're treated by healthcare system, and how they end up treating themselves, right? The other reason why I'm starting this show is, is in the same vein of me getting this question about not looking like an alcoholic. And the, the fact of the matter is, an alcoholic doesn't look like anything. An alcoholic doesn't look like anything. An addict doesn't look like anything. Which is to say that anyone can be an addict, regardless of race or class or gender or socioeconomic status or religion or cultural affiliation or citizenship. There are addicts all over the world. And we only see, and but when I say we, I mean, when I grew up and growing up as, you know, in America, I only saw a certain representation or portrayal of addiction. And it was usually um, a man with a beer belly and a red nose who was acting really funny and silly. Maybe he was doing like, you know, a lot of physical comedy, kind of Charlie Chaplin stuff. Or it was a person who was houseless, um, you know, generally men, a person who was houseless, who was dirty, who couldn't take care of themselves, who was incapable of functioning. Um, or if I ever saw a portrayal of a femme or female addict or alcoholic, she was probably a sex worker. She was probably in a relationship that was toxic or harmful to her and she needed to be saved. And these three tropes are so harmful for the reality of millions of people who are trying to get sober, who are trying to live their best life and who look nothing like that. And it's particularly harmful for people who are sex workers and are addicts, for people who are houseless and transient, who need support, need mental health support. And it's particularly harmful to all of the other people who aren't represented by the white cishet malehood that addiction has come to be. Things like TikTok, things like Instagram, online forums, Reddit have been incredible, incredible for representation. And I'm not trying to say that this show is going to be anything louder than that. 
all I'm hoping is that this can be a really honest and vulnerable space where I can bring people who I respect onto this show, people who I never would have met otherwise. Bring people on here and like we can kiki, but also we can be real, right? We can be real. The last thing I wanna say about why I'm starting this show is um, I'm kind of on this journey of trying to find this unshakable truth about myself. And I'm trying to figure out a truth about myself that doesn't really take anyone else to convince me of. I think for a lot of my life, I've asked other people to validate what my truth is. And I've sought that through relationships. I've sought that through drugs and alcohol. I've sought that through being attention seeking. And I've really, really sought that through the validation of um, people I've been in relationships with, my family members and my parents. And I've looked to them to validate me and be like, please tell me the truth. Tell me the truth about me so that I can know what it is. I guess that's not really like what the truth is. Um, and I, you know, being someone who's pretty compulsively lied throughout my life, need to be very honest about the fact that I'm not that good at telling the truth. And it's something that I'm working on and that those actions have really real impacts and really devastating effects. So I, I wanna just be very frank about the fact that I am by no means perfect. I'm actively in struggle with myself and um, I have a lot of work to do. I've come a long way, but I have a lot of work to do. So this show hopefully is a way of me prioritizing the kind of Marina that I wanna be, which is in healthy relationship with people, which is sharing knowledge and spreading knowledge without it being ego-driven um, and uplifting others as I rise, right? That's like a very kind of strong black feminist sentiment, lift as you climb. Um, and I just wanna name that, I didn't come up with that, but I want other people to succeed. I want other people to stay sober. And it is about constant growth. Yeah, my sister just named in the chat that it's about constant growth. So thank you for everyone who's joining. If you're joining late, I'm just kind of explaining the uh, rationale behind why I'm gonna start this show. So these are the goals. Number one, let's reduce stigma. Please let us reduce stigma. I also just wanna define the kind of version of stigma that I'm using because I know there's a lot of different kind of hot words around that we don't really know what they mean. So let me just define stigma really quick. And this is being taken from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I want to shout out uh, just like a number of healthcare and uh, mental health workers that have significantly made an impact on my life. I would not be where I am right now without therapy. So I don't want to just uh, say that addiction and, and recovery and alcoholism is stigmatized. I would say mental health broadly still remains stigmatized. So stigma, what is stigma? Stigma is, and I'm just like looking at my notes because I won't remember all this. Stigma is when individuals view others or themselves negatively because of their mental health status. While stigma is not to be confused with systemic prejudices like racism, sexism, or homophobia, the impacts of stigma on individuals with mental health conditions are significant. And this is a quote taken directly from the National Alliance on Mental Illness or NAMI. Quote, stigma can even come from an internal place confusing feeling bad with being bad. And I really wanna just name that again. Stigma is oftentimes when you confuse feeling bad with being bad. And this show is all about not living in a lie that I'm a bad person because I'm an addict. Cause I know I'm not. And I have a lot of work to do. And I'm sure all the people that I bring onto this show will say the same thing, you know, that they're not perfect, that they're just working on progress. 
But stigma, when it becomes internalized, becomes particularly insidious because you start to believe, I start to believe, that this is just how I am, that this just can't be treated, that this is just like, I might as well just give up. And that's a really, really dark place to be when there is hope, when there is care, when there are people who are just like me, who are extending their hands and saying, it's okay that you're an alcoholic. You may have done some pretty fucked up shit. You probably still will in sobriety, but you can own those decisions. You can own those choices and you can move forward. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. So if you needed to hear that today, that you're not a bad person, please take that. I needed to hear that today. I feel like one today. Some days we do, but it's not. It's about those choices. And every day is a new one. So that's the first goal. Reduce stigma. Because stigma, as I said before, is not just about this negatively held attitude towards people. It is about the fact that that negatively held attitude, when you are in conversation with a doctor who's asking you, I was in the ER two weeks ago because I had like a really bad sinus infection. And they really kind of um, were responsive to the fact that I didn't want to take a Percocet, a narcotic, right? Uh, I don't take any drugs. I don't drink. I'm totally sober. And they offered me a, a narcotic for my face pain. And I was like, definitely. That would be cool. Let's have a crazy night. The other side of me is like, you should definitely not take that. Because like, you're sober, right? <laughs> like, narcotics aren't just like a part of this deal. And they didn't really get it. They were kind of like, oh, okay. Like, why? Like, are you sure? Like, they were... I was offered narcotics many times throughout this eight hour ER experience, which Danny was with me the whole time. Thank you. And I feel like it took every bone in my body to be like, yeah, no, I'm going to pass on the Percocet. I'm going to just take like the non-narcotic painkiller and you can just jam this giant needle on my leg and I'm just going to feel that shit. And that kind of interaction with a doctor where they ask me, am I sure that I don't want a Percocet? Am I sure that I don't want that narcotic? And that that was the first option makes it so difficult. Um, my friend Ace just joined and I just wanna acknowledge that um, their presence here is profound. They are a huge part of why I'm in recovery uh, this time and they've been really integral. So I apologize if that call out was uh, inappropriate or unanticipated, but I just wanna, I just wanna give credit where credit's due because I've stolen credit from so many people throughout my life. Um, and really take in uh, just a very selfish approach. So lots of flowers for all the people that help keep me sober today. So stigma has real effects. Stigma has real ass impacts on people. And I wanna also name me as a white person has navigated the healthcare system with incredible privilege. And especially as someone who's non-binary but femme presenting also navigated the healthcare system with incredible privilege. People who are living in lower income communities, people who are trans, folks of color, people who are struggling with addiction, who have multiple identities that are marginalized across any sort of system of oppression, are at a much higher risk for being incarcerated when they seek any sort of help for their addiction they're obviously more likely to come into contact with the prison industrial complex if they're more likely to come into contact with law enforcement. And they're less likely to receive adequate healthcare. 
have access to it. I don't want the broad strokes about this to be um, confused with systemic racism that deeply, deeply impacts the way that folks of color, particularly queer and trans folks of color, move through and, and live um, in, in the United States and across the globe. I just wanna name that because um, it's really important. So what else is the goals of this, uh, of this here show? Um, the last one to like lighten the mood really quickly is that I really thought sobriety was going to be a death sentence and I was pretty bummed about it. I was like, oh my God, legit, what can I do on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday if I'm not drinking? And, um, <laughs> yeah, I've gotten so much done not drinking and also it's been really fun. It's been way cuter than any time that I've drank. I'll do a probably maybe like a, like a little slideshow. I'm gonna definitely ask people who um who uh who come onto the show if they feel comfortable to share an image of themselves um, when they were in active addiction. And this is in large part kind of inspired by my sister who's coming on um, for this next episode, episode two, who did a really incredible project about um about recovery. And I don't want to say too much because I think she'll probably talk about it. Uh, and it's her, you know, her practice, and I don't want to misrepresent that, but wow, I look different. Wow, I look different than when I was drinking. Uh, and I really thought sobriety was going to be the end of my sense of humor, the end of my being able to dance at clubs, the end of my being able to sit with myself, the end of good sex, the end of fun Friday nights. Like, I really thought it was the end. And um, it's not. It was really the beginning. It was really the beginning. I mean, I don't even know, you know? So this show's gonna be fun. This show's gonna be real, but joy and humor are definitely what, uh, what keep me in this and all the amazing things, right? And like, just like my entire life changing. So here's what's gonna go down. I'm gonna interview people all across the world. I am going to uh, be starting again with my sister next week who's flying here. And I, I just feel like um, I didn't time this. Like I did not time that my sister would be coming to visit, but it just feels appropriate that the person that I am, um, you know, bio, bio siblings with is visiting me the second week of this like show launch and um, was really, really kind of the first person that I came into close contact with who's in recovery. And it's been, um, it's been profound to uh, be on a kind of solo sober journey, but also to be related to an incredible artist and, and writer and human um, and watch her get sober. So if you want to see me and Milan kiki around next week and just be like freaky and kiki and sober, please come through because it's going to be great. Um, so that's part of it. I'm going to do interviews, right? I'm going to do interviews. The other part is I'm gonna do a little bit of storytelling, a little history lessoning, because all of these things, all of these people exist in a context. And I think that that context is not often talked about in colloquial ways. I, again, am not the only person talking about this. I am just one voice among many. Um, my goal is to not be the only voice. I encourage you to seek out listening and engaging with other resources, other people, um, particularly folks who are in recovery who, um, who have different points of view, right? I'm not the only one. Uh, but I do think that I like doing research and I like looking up the truth about things. And so I, uh, I wanna share with you 
research that I can find that's in a manageable portion and not in this massive kind of complex um, theory heavy research paper. I really, I really want to be able to share with you certain issues like addiction as it intersects with the political and uh, the the prison industrial complex and addiction as it intersects with uh, political agendas because the history of the way that U.S. presidents and U.S. policy have treated addicts and addiction and alcoholism has been incredibly biased and it's been incredibly um, uh, heavy on treating people who are addicts as if they really should just be sent to jail, really should just be put out of sight, out of mind. Again, folks of color, queer trans folks of color disproportionately experiencing contact with law enforcement and the prison industrial complex. But putting people away who are struggling with addiction in a jail, in inhumane cages, is not how we treat addiction. And it's not how we support people trying to get sober, right? Also, just a quick note, I'm saying the word addict, and that is a term that I use. Um, I understand that it is a stigmatized term. Um, I identify as an addict and an alcoholic. I think a lot of folks might not identify as that. The official kind of uh, terminology, according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, also known as the DSM-5, um, they, they, you know, the people who wrote this, the American Psychological Association, uh, talk about substance use disorder or people with SUDS. You know, that's the kind of the acronym SUDS for substance use disorder. So I will be using the term addict and alcoholic to describe myself. I'm sure a lot of guests on this show might not. Um, and that's cool. That's cool, right? Uh, naming is really important. Language is incredibly important. And... Uh, to connect it back to what I was just talking about with, uh, you know, political um, political uh, campaigns and legislation around addiction, uh, language has been incredibly harmful, incredibly harmful. So um, I just want to name that not everyone identifies as that. I do, and I think it's a, a reclaiming of a term in many ways. It's also a term that I um, feel like is appropriate uh, for me because that's the truth, right? Um, I can't stop drinking by myself and I can't stay stopped from drinking by myself either. <laughs> so yeah. So story times. I want to talk more about like how people came to think that addicts look like that, you know, like that, how people came to think that addicts don't look like me or addicts don't look like you. Like, how did that happen? It's, it's really intentional actually. And it starts, um, it starts in many ways in American film and American television and the way that we see American cartoon strips. Um, and thank you for everyone who's here. I know I've said that a couple times, but it just is incredible to see all these different people's names pop up from different parts of my life who I love. Um, Constellation Kid, so much love and so much gratitude for you. So yeah, I'm gonna interview people. I'm gonna share with you whatever knowledge that I can compile and then just give out to reduce stigma because I would be thrilled if someone saw this and was like, oh my God, that like queer femme person kind of looks like me and they're talking about getting sober and like if they can do it, like maybe I can too, you know? Or maybe you might have a different kind of language to engage with your sibling or your partner or a friend about it, right? And we can't get anyone sober. I've tried, I've failed. I have continually failed to control people.
Um, and controlling people never works. Controlling people will never work. All I can control is this, is me, right? So just to be able to kind of share knowledge, share it out with you and you do with it what you will, take it or leave it, drop it or keep it, you know, that's what I'm kind of hoping. In that spirit, if there's any questions or any topics that you would like me to talk about, uh, DM them to me. DM them as I zhuzh my hair. DM anything you would like me to talk about and I'll make a show episode about it, right? Because I don't know what you're all interested in. I've gotten so many comments about, um, about what it means to be like queer and in recovery or what it means to be dating someone who isn't an addict or what it, what it means to have a sibling who's in recovery. So, you know, if I can answer anything, send me a DM. Um, my handle is Marina2MP3. You probably know that if you're watching this, but send me a question. I would love, I would love to research something that you want to know about. I would love to research something that you are, you know, questioning or curious about. And if I have any knowledge, I'll share it. And if I don't, I will direct you to who does, right? Because I don't have all the answers. So let me take a sip. Okay, we're getting towards the end, right? It's almost, it's 5.30ish. Okay, here's the tea. Here's the tea. I received a question from a friend, an online friend who, uh, has been very supportive. They're an incredible artist. Um, I don't know if they feel comfortable like with me naming them, so I'm not going to name them. And in general, I'm going to, uh, make sure that privacy and, uh, just like honoring people in my stories is protected. So this person basically was like, yo, can you tell me your story? And I was like, I don't even know how to do that. Like, I don't even know how to do that. Right. But I'm going to share a couple of, um, a couple of story points, a couple of highlights, if you want to call them, they're probably lowlights, let's be honest, but I'll probably just share a couple because I want you all to know that I am very qualified <laughs> to be sober and very qualified uh, to be uh, making a show about addiction and recovery. And um, I'm also like no more qualified than anyone else in recovery. I'm just like another person. But there are a couple of reasons why I'm sober. There are a number of reasons why I can't drink alcohol safely. And I just want to share a couple of them with you because I want to be as vulnerable as I'm asking my, you know, guests on this show to be, right? So, uh, so yeah, let's get to it. And if you have any questions, I see that there's uh, a couple folks in this, in this right now. If you have any questions, drop them in. Drop them in because I'm just going to talk for another maybe like, uh, five or so minutes, just about a couple stories, and um, and then I'll answer any questions. So I first want to just address a, a theme that I brought up earlier, which is being at the doctors and being offered drugs and saying no. And I'm going to lean in a little bit so you can maybe see my lip hair, but mostly see my lip scar. I have this lip scar right here. And I didn't always have this. I didn't always have this scar. I got this scar in, um, in 2018, the summer of 2018. And I had a little interaction with a dog and lovely dog. The dog has now transitioned onto the dog afterlife or after sphere. So RIP. Um, but a dog bit my face and I was obviously shook. Like this big ass dog just chewed my face. The other part of the scar is like down here. Sometimes you can only see if I'm like, sucking my like neck up for a photo um but it's over here but basically like big old monch happened like right on my face 
in the morning and I was like ow literally ow and my like lip flaps were flapping around like separated you know so obviously went to the hospital like obviously got that stitched up grateful to have access to healthcare. um it was a weird experience because my dad was with me and I've never seen my dad look more concerned when the doctor who I went to go get stitched up by started stitching my lip I could feel it the anesthesia the like local anesthesia didn't work so I'm feeling all those stitches and uh after she stitches me up she turns to my dad and she's like um how do you think that looks think it looks straight and I'm here literally with stitches in my goddamn lip and my dad looks at me ghost white like did the doctor did like Mrs. Lila MD really just say that and yeah she did yeah, she did. Her name's not Lila. I've changed it to protect her, but yeah, that was a lot. So after that, I go home and my, my cousins are all hanging out. It's a boat day. We're going on the lake. We're going to go like wakeboarding and we're going to have, you know, our spike seltzers. It's going to be so fun and we're going to play loud music and it's going to be really great. And I can't drink because I am on antibiotics for this thing that just happened to me. And I bet you can guess what I did <laughs> that afternoon. Uh, casually attacked by a dog in the morning and casually drinking spike seltzers on the boat in the afternoon. Yeah, like ignored everything that the doctor told me about not drinking on antibiotics. And a lot of well-intentioned people that day were like, are you sure you want to drink? Like the doctor said you shouldn't. Like you might, you know, you just kind of want. I was like, isn't alcohol like antiseptic? And that uh, was certainly not the first time that I've ever done that, and certainly not the last. But every time uh, a doctor told me, you can't drink or smoke, when I got my wisdom teeth out, when I got my tonsils and adenoids out, I drank or smoked every time. And you know what happened? Literally, my recovery was delayed. <laughs> I got dry sockets from smoking weed when I, um, when I uh, smoked... Uh, after getting my my wisdom teeth out that was bad and like i didn't think it was an issue i just thought like the doctor was being kind of strict and like aggie that i couldn't drink i didn't think it was a problem and i definitely didn't think it was a problem that i had a, a problem not drinking i was just like oh whatever so that's one thing right the other thing, another story, is that when I was in high school, that's really when my drinking ramped up. And I loved Four Loco. I don't know if any of you drank Four Loco, but I loved Four Loco, dude. Like, <laughs> oh God, I don't know if it was the can or if it was like, and this is when Four Loco had caffeine, right? This is when Four Loco had, um, like all of the things in it that got immediately banned by Congress after they realized that people were dying from this. But Four Loco and Buzz Balls, I don't know if anyone knows what Buzz Balls are. I was trying to explain it to Danny the other day, but they're scary. I'm just gonna um, actually show you an image of it. These are Buzz Balls. They're essentially like tennis ball cans that have actually stiff lemonade. Yeah, it's like shots. And if you don't know what Four Loco is, I'll do a little type in. Oh yeah, cat knows buzz balls. For loco. I want to blame it on the advertising because those camo colors are cute. But the blue raspberry flavor, oof. 
oof, and the watermelon. So the reason that I'm showing you this is not because I want for loco. Oop, sorry. Is not because I want for loco, but because for loco was like a very pivotal moment in my teenage life. I started drinking when I was 13. I'm 27 now. Um, they do, they sell them in a big bin by the checkout. And it's like the candy, you know, it's like the candy at the dollar store. So I started drinking when I was 13 and Four Loco immediately became something that I drank. And mind you, I am not that like large of a human. Like I'll stand on the, our day bed. I'm pretty small. I'm also wearing really big pants right now, but I'm a pretty small human. I've pretty much been this size uh, since I was in high school. So didn't take much to get me drunk. But every time I drank, I would throw up in high school. And I'm, I'm like, I don't think I'm exaggerating on that. I want to be honest about the fact that sometimes I misremember things and sometimes I exaggerate. But I really, really remember just drinking and expecting to throw up, especially from Four Loco or Buzz Balls. And just being like, that's part of the, that's part of the night. That's part of what happens when you drink. You just drink and you get drunk and you get like a little squirrely and then you don't want to lay down in bed because then you'll get the spins and you definitely don't want to smoke after you drink. So we're going to drink, you know, after we smoke and just like all of these rules and all these little hoops that I would set up for myself because I didn't want to throw up in bed in my friend's mom's house, you know, blacking out in Madison was what we did. Just said my sister in the chat. 100%. I would, speaking of these Jenko jeans that are big, if I wore big jeans, I wasn't that cool in high school, but if I were wearing these jeans in high school, I would have padded the inside of these pockets with, uh, with water bottles full of alcohol, like Poland Spring water bottles, right? I would do anything throughout high school to get alcohol into my life. I remember cutting out the inside of a purse that I was going into a Dave Matthews band concert in with my best friend Diego and um, and some other people. I don't remember who else was there, but I cut out the interior of a purse so that I could put a double lined Ziploc bag full of alcohol in there so that I could drink it. Like the the lengths I went to, right? And I'm 14. I'm 14 years old doing this. Like, yeah. So that being said, I went to any lengths to drink and it started early. It started early. I consistently blacked out when I drank. I consistently threw up when I drank and that continued and ramped up throughout college. I, uh, I just really made alcohol a priority, you know, and now I'm having a hot flash, but I really made alcohol a priority. Like if, as if like alcohol was a guest at the party, like at the hangout, at the concert. And I put a lot of energy into making sure that I would get alcohol, which for me meant how can I be the, uh, the kind of arbiter of the alcoholic experience? How can I set up the fake ID situation? Cause I'm good at, no, I'm like good at managing people. I'm good at like bringing a team together. I'm good at like getting shit done. So I'm like, how can I use my people skills to make sure that I am always either receiving compliments or attention because I brought the alcohol, um, navigating some way to like get into the bar without like hopping the fence, but just like sweet talking the bouncer, all that stuff, right? I put a lot of energy into drinking.
And the last story that I guess I'll end with, second to last, is that I know that alcohol was so important to me um, in this vein that like, you know, she was just like the cutest girl and I had to bring her home with me because I brought alcohol to college. It was really, really important for me to show up to school with alcohol in my duffel. And, um, and I did. I brought two handles with me my freshman year of college in like the base of my duffel. I don't even know how I snuck them in there, but I did. And mom and dad, I'm sorry about that. Um, Cause I probably lied to you about that. But I snuck these handles of uh, raspberry, oh God, what was it called? It wasn't Dubra. It was like really cheap vodka. Oh my God, and they had a pink lemonade. They had a pink lemonade kind of um, flavor. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, I really should know. Smirnoff was like, if we're getting like fancy Burnett's. Burnett's. <laughs> Burnett's, dude. Oh, Mike's hard. You know it. You know it. Burnett's. I just typed in raspberry. Raspberry vodka cheap. Yeah, I feel like everyone's just like dropping their, dropping their, yeah. Yes, Burnett's. Let me show you Burnett's. This shit was like in a plastic container on the bottom shelf and there was always like dust collecting right here because no one had picked it up. Nobody had picked it up. I can't even talk about it. But the pink lemonade was really bad. Anyways, this was before all those cute little seltzers that you have that are zero calorie and the alcohol-free Michelob whatever that you're all drinking now. Like literally... We didn't have anything cute. We didn't even have anything cute. It was like, you're going to just pound that vodka in a crumpled up Poland Spring bottle and it's not going to be anything but room temperature. That is what it was like. Room temp. Room temp vodka at the football game. I don't give a fuck about football. That's what it was. But I got to college. And I was like, I got to bring these Burnett's because you know what I had to do the first night of college? Throw a party and establish to people that I was fun and I was cute and I didn't care. Even though I have never met someone who cares more about the rules than me. I am Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec. I will literally whistleblow on myself. That's how much I care about the rules. That's how much of a little sap sucking little suck up I am. But I don't want you to know that. So I brought vodka to college so you would know that I'm a cool mom. And I can hang and like we can get drunk. But yeah. Also a comment in the chat just popped in. When you accidentally bring your water bottle of vodka to the gym by accident instead of water, that has happened to me multiple times. And you take that swig and you're like, <laughs> you're like, I can't even handle this shit. But that's the truth. When your water is getting mixed up with your vodka, you know it might be time to quit drinking. So anyways, long story short, snuck that vodka into college, established that I was a cool kid. I didn't have all the tats yet, so no one thought I was cool. But uh, yeah, I don't know what happened to that vodka. I think we had a party. I think we had a party. Yeah, also in the comments, people are like, what about drinking it on accident in the morning? Or, you know, the amount of 3 a.m. surprises, waking up thinking I was about to drink water. Yeah. Yeah. Why do we ever think of putting it in a water bottle? Because I could sneak it in better and you wouldn't know. It just looks like water. And all throughout all these things, I didn't think I had a problem. 
I did not think I had a problem, right? And I'm not really going to go into the full kind of journey. I think I'm going to tell my story across a couple different episodes because in some ways my story isn't linear. In some ways my story um, is something I'm still figuring out. And in some ways my story can really best be told to other people. Also, I just got asked in the chat when did I first drink. My first drink was 13. I stole absolute vodka out of my parents' fridge and I took one of those like uh, cooking measuring shots. I think they're meant for like oil, you know, or like sugar. And me and me and a friend went upstairs and like took the absolute and I immediately took a shot and was like, okay, great, I'm pimping. And then I took another shot and threw up. <laughs> uh, and then I like came up from that throw up and was like, oh, I'm an adult, bitch. I'm fucking here. That's the truth. That's the truth. I was like, so this is what everyone's been talking about. This is what all those people in the movies are drinking. This is why they do it. Because they feel like, you know? After that, I drank, uh, I can't remember. I think I just pretty much consistently made an effort to drink once I got into high school. I definitely remember wanting to go hang out with people who I knew whose parents wouldn't care about drinking. And that was pretty, pretty soon into my high school career. Um, so yeah. And I didn't smoke pot until junior year. Drugs are also part of my story, but I'm not going to get into that today. The last thing that I want to say is, um, that I am still very new in recovery. I was not sober between January of December. I'm sorry, December of 2019 through July of 2020. I stopped being sober. I started drinking again. And so I have about seven, I have almost like seven months. I'm creeping up on seven months of sobriety. I haven't done drugs. Uh, I haven't done any drugs for like almost three years, except for that time that I accidentally got high twice, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but that hasn't been in the past seven months. Um, yeah, that was insane. That was literally insane. But... Yeah, I drank. Uh, I drank last December and it was rough because I drank every day. And even though I had been, you know, in recovery for about a year and a half up until that point, and even though nothing really like bad in terms of, uh, you know, physical damage or emotional damage or, you know, losing jobs or anything, even though that stuff didn't really happen when I was drinking actively, it was very concerning that I had to drink. And there was this moment when my dad um, came and visited last summer. And I would think I was playing, we were playing a card game. My dad, my partner Danny and I were playing a card game. And we were all sharing like a, a big beer. And this was my last drunk. This was my last drink. And I just remember being so miserable, surrounded by two people that I love so dearly who I am so fortunate to have really incredible relationships with, my dad and my partner. And I was so miserable sitting in my living room because there wasn't enough beer in the house to get me drunk. And I didn't have a good enough excuse to go out and get alcohol. And it was Sunday, so I probably couldn't get alcohol. And so I was like, what's even the point of drinking this if I'm not gonna get drunk? And 
so I gave the rest of my beer to Danny and uh and it took me a minute to really think about why it was such an issue. I really had to kind of reflect on the fact that it was an issue. It was a problem that I wouldn't drink unless I could get drunk, you know? And that was that, you know? That was the last thing I drank, a little sip of like this Vezasur beer from a brewing company in Miami, which is a great brewing company. I'm sure they're awesome and their beer tastes great, but it was just this really intense moment of being like, there is no other reason other than alcohol that I am deeply miserable and feeling so alone and in my head and upset. And I was really, really sick at that point. After drinking half a bottle to a bottle of wine every night, because um, I was just cooking with dinner, like I was just cooking and I was just drinking wine. I was just so sick of being alone. I was so sick of my day leading up to the 5 p.m. mark or the 4 p.m. mark or maybe the 3 p.m. mark if I got my work done early to when I would drink. And I was so sick of making sure that alcohol was always there. And I was so, so tired of always leaving, of always trying to leave reality, always being deeply resentful of the fact that if I couldn't get drunk or if I couldn't leave reality, then I had to just sit and deal with it. And I had to deal with who you were. And then I had to deal with who I was. I was sick of that. I was sick of that. And I was really sick of waiting for things to end. My sister, I want to end kind of with, with this. My sister offered up one time in recovery, which kind of leads into, you know, our next episode next Friday, next Friday, my sister will be on the show. She offered up to me, and I don't know if this is her saying this or if it's someone else, but she offered up that she's not really waiting for things to end anymore. And that really stuck with me because not only am I not waiting for hangovers to end or, or drugs to wear off or, you know, the low after taking shrooms and acid to, yeah, I'm not waiting for that shit to end anymore. You know what I mean? I'm not waiting for stuff to end anymore. Also, my cousin Alex just joined. Hi, I love you. Um, you missed the story about when bones uh, bit my lip. I'm not waiting for things to end anymore. I'm not waiting for my self-hatred to end anymore. I'm not waiting for the day to end anymore. I used to just like be so excited that it was like 7 p.m. and maybe I could get into bed and I could wa binge watch three hours of shows and then I could be in bed. That was my high school, waiting for the day to end waiting for the day to end, which for good reason, high school kind of sucks. You're up early. My head was half orange. I had braces for five years. I don't know what the fuck was going on, but, uh, but there was another aspect of it where I just wanted the day to be over. So I wouldn't have to deal with anything. I wouldn't have to deal with you and I wouldn't have to deal with me and I wouldn't have to deal with reality and I could just go somewhere else. You know, I think that's a lot of why I make art. So I know I covered a lot of territory from the first time that I drank to the last time that I drank, but there's a lot in between. There's a lot of steps forward. There's a lot of steps backward. Um, but more will come out kind of as this show happens. I don't want to really give it all away, but hopefully I gave you, you know, enough tea to sink your teeth into. I think I had some juicy stories. Um, there will be times when maybe as I get more comfortable doing this, I share some kind of real stuff, you know, and in that sense, I'll give content warnings. And um, I wanna be respectful of the people watching this and respectful of, of your time, you know? So thank you for being here. It's been about an hour. 
I hope that, that you share it and watch it and, you know, come back next time. And if you have any questions, please DM me. If you have anything that you'd like me to talk about, please send it. And, and I think that's it. Yeah, next week my sister is going to be speaking, who definitely will spill the tea. You'll just watch us kiki, and that'll be great. But I'll stay on for like a couple minutes until people kind of trickle out. But thank you. Thanks for letting me speak. Thanks for letting me share. And who knows? Who knows where this is going to go? Who even knows? So, yeah, I think that's it. Bye, everyone. Thanks for being here. I hope you have a beautiful weekend. My sister's requesting to be in this video right now. Hey, this is Marina, the host and creator of Sober Baby. Hang out until after the credits for cringy and cute selections from behind the scenes. To listen to all of our episodes, watch the live show each week, and to support Sober Baby, head to our link tree, linktr ee backslash soberbaby. Thank you to all of our patrons for helping make this show possible. My college cutie Miranda DeMays Nordling for music direction, curation, and licensing through Now Again Records. Queen of Crochet, Jenny Alpa for audio engineering. My partner Danny Vargas for the endless support and love and all of the sober babies out there, because without you, this doesn't happen. We got Valentine's grams, hold on. I don't know what's happening. This was not timed. This was maybe poorly or amazingly timed. Hold on, stay with me here, this is live. I wrote like three Yeah, I mean, someone got it, right? Yeah. All right, we take care. Yeah, you do. That's Danny, my partner. Danny, what is it? Santos. Well, I think we sent these Valentine's grams. When Danny and I sent Valentine's grams to ourselves. <laughs> and then someone else. Oh. I think it may be our neighbors. Oh. Oh my gosh, so cute. Super cute. Love that. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. Thank you for bearing with me. That was uh, weirdly crafty.